Well, isn't it great to be back here? And uh, actually, just looking at so many, so many faces. Could be not many, but it is very, very many faces. Welcome to you all. Um, for me, during lockdown, actually, I've been here almost every day because most of what I do is in town. So this has not been a, a strange place for me. It's been my my everyday thing for the last. <laughs> probably even more than usual, but um, it's good to see so many people back. And for those that are guests, we welcome our guests today. It's really nice to have people visiting us. And um, we're in the middle of a series on Ezra. Now, Ezra tells the story of the Israelites who've been in exile returning to the land of Israel. And so, the point of the series is to that as we come out of exile uh, with our pandemic, that um, as we return, what should we expect and how should we conduct ourselves? And um, we've been, so we've been doing this for a few weeks now. And uh, let's see if we, where are we? Yeah, okay, here we are. So this is what we've got, the book of Ezra, return, rebuild, restore together. Okay, and this week uh, we're looking at Ezra chapter 4 to 6, letters, letters and more letters, right, because it's all about, what do you think, letters, and it's about rebuilding. And now, actually, <laughs> having said that, um, I can't actually go into Ezra 4 until I've really looked at the last verses of Ezra 3 because I think they're so pertinent to where we're at that I've got to spend a bit of time, at least half the time in that. Um, I have enjoyed the series and I, I've, I was particularly right at the beginning when we were still online, um, and we are online of course, hello all those folk who are watching online, um, but uh, we had Dave Perry from Canada speaking on the first couple of chapters of Ezra. And uh, in Ezra 2, you get this great long list of people, all the families who returned in that first, uh, that first return from, uh, from, from exile under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And when you get to that chapter, you think, oh, have I got to read through this lot? And it is a long list, and you think, why? And, and I, what I loved, what Dave brought out of that was, why did they put all that detail into this message? What, you know, why did they set all the families and the great long list? Because God cares. Because it's important to God. Because every person who returned in that exile, out of the relative comfort of Babylon was important to God and he wanted to list them. And I thought it was great. I just thought it was a little gem. And um, by the way, Max, thank you so much and, and Jane and David for the worship this morning. You just caught the songs and, you know, and, and we're not allowed to sing, are we? So we're singing, I'm singing just sort of trying to keep it quiet enough so I don't get told off by Sarah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, actually, you just want to cry out, don't you? 
Thank you for that. It's really good. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to actually look at... Um, if I can get it to go. Can you move it on one for me, please? It's, um, I think it's not quite... Okay, so at this point, the, uh, the, the Israelites, have, they've been back and now they've gathered and they've, first of all, in instituted the sacrifices according to the, the, the laws of Moses and then they've laid the foundations of the temple. Okay, and now they've come together to celebrate the laying of the foundations of the temple. And... And this is working. If you could just move it on, please. We're not able to... Oh, it's there now. Okay. All right, so this is chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. I don't know, is there anyone bold enough to come out here with the microphone and read it for us? Thank you, Michael. <laughs> David, rather. Michael. Don't ask me. Don't ask you. <laughs> yeah. You can read it from there or you can read it from there. So this is chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. I think uh, one, one of the things you, we, we might take out that, one of the things is that the people in those days in Israel were a lot more expressive of their emotions than we are now. And, uh, you know, we're more likely to have uh, made a nice little clap or, uh, to, you know, or, I don't know, I don't know how you expressed yourself last night, maybe, if you were watching the football. But... Uh, but they said that, that they made so much noise that they could hear it a long way away. And, uh, but, but it was a mixture. This noise was a mixture. There were those who were saying, this is great. This is, we've got the foundations are laid. We're back. We're coming back. We're building a new... Uh, we're building... It's a new day. But there were older ones who'd been around at the time of Solomon's temple, which was a lot more grand were weeping because this isn't quite what it was. It's not what it once was. And it says that it was so loud that they couldn't, they couldn't work out who was cheering and who was weeping. 
Well, between Solomon's temple and this point, a lot of things had happened. A lot of water had gone under the bridge. Solomon's temple had been built, but after that the people had been disobedient, the northern tribes had broken away, and uh, then, then they'd, been, uh, they'd been unfaithful, they'd been taken off by the Assyrians, the Babylonians had come in and invaded uh, the, the southern tribes, and people they'd taken them off to Babylon, and uh, a lot had happened, and they'd been in exile for 70 years, and now they're back. Okay, and, uh, and actually what it says here is that God was with them because um, there's no comment in this passage about the fact that some were weeping and some were celebrating. There's no comment at all. It doesn't say one was right and the other was wrong. The other was right, one was wrong. It just says, says it, says it's a, it, it happened. But I think it's, uh, if you can pick it up a bit, you can pick it up in, um, in Haggai, because Haggai comes around and 15 years later when the temple was actually, um, when the temple was completed, Haggai uh, actually addressed this issue. And he said, is it going to go? If you can carry on, go forward, I think. And the next one. Next one. Okay. All right. So Haggai said this. This was 15 years later when they finally completed the temple. Be strong, all you people. Work hard, for I am with you, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Okay. So, so what he was saying to them, I'm with you. And I think the key to that is that it doesn't matter whether things were greater in the past. It doesn't matter that maybe things are a lot, not, not quite as grand as they once were. The important thing is, is God with us? As we come back today, we've got 50 people in here. You know, we'd like to see 150 uh, you know, we t- uh, 200, see the place packed out. We can be sad because there aren't so many people. We don't know if when the restrictions go, whether all those people will come back. Thank you. Um, and, uh, but it doesn't matter. Is God, the important thing is, is God with us? God is not worried about how many people assemble in this room. But is he with us is what's important for us. And, you know, some of us who are really old can remember back to days when we had monthly celebrations of a thousand people. Do you remember? We don't get that anymore. It doesn't matter. The important thing is, is God with us today? Is God with us today? And if he is with us, he says... Don't Don't worry, don't Don't be afraid, afraid. work Work hard, my My spirit spirit is with you. This is a new day. And then, I don't think we can push it on, but what Haggai says a bit later is, the promise of God is the glory of this present house 
will be greater than the glory of the former house. Thank you. Great, thank you so much. Great. So, three questions for you. In your life right now, what does your personal temple of the Holy Spirit, because that's who you are, what you've got, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, corporately, together, Hope Church is a temple of the Holy Spirit, but you individually also are a temple of the Holy Spirit. What does, it look, what does your temple look like right now? Maybe there were days gone by when you were really full of it, you know, and you had faith, you prayed for people, they got healed. All sorts of things were happening, you know, and, you know, and now it's not quite like that. Is it to something to be joyful or to lament over? Pray and talk about it with the Lord, because actually what's important is not once you had a great ministry or you had great... What's important is, is God with you now today? Is he walking with you? What's God want you to do today? That's what's important. And uh, Sarah talked a few weeks ago about lament, didn't she? Lament is something that is actually important. We do. We go through tough times. We do need to lament because out of lament we begin to, to reason with God and come through and, and begin to look at our own attitudes and things and gradually move through to a different place. So lament is an important part of our story. So don't be afraid of it. Question two. What does it mean for God to be with us today? God with us, Emmanuel. What does it mean for, for us in Hope Church in, this, in 2021? What does it mean for God to be with us today? And third, what does it look like to live with shouts of praise and cries of sadness? What's that like? What was it like then? You know, it was so loud... You know, how do we live with both the celebration of the new and the lament of, of the struggles? What's it like? How do, we, how do we embrace as a church both lament and celebration together? So those, those questions, if you can't um, write them all down now, they'll, they'll be up on the website. So, All right, so... Um, we're now going to go on to what I'm supposed to be talking about. And um, Ezra 4, letters, letters and more letters. And what I want to say in this is, in this story, a quick, quick, quick synopsis of chapters 4 to 6, what that happens is they're, they're, they're now in the land, they've made so much noise in celebrating the, the laying of the foundation of the temple that the enemies have taken notice and heard what they're doing and they're, they're rebuilding the temple. So they come along and say, hey, we're, we're just like you, we, we, we worship God, let's help you build the temple. And you'll find that the leaders, Zerubbabel as the sort of royal leader at the time and uh, Yeshua, the, the priest, they say, no, you've got no part in this. Well, you think, actually, it's a bit arrogant, isn't it? They, they, you know, we're, they're offering help, and they're saying, no, we're going to do it all on our own. But you begin to see later on. So when, when they reject the help, 
that says that the, their enemies start to try and discourage them from building the temple. So first of all, and, and I, I have to say, I've been trying to work out all, all the kings of Persia that, that, that we talk about in this passage and trying to mix, fit them in with dates and I just about get it right. And then you read another bit and, and they've got a completely different story, you know, and, and Ahasuerus is called, uh, is called Xerxes at some times and there's, a, there's another one called Symbesis and, you know, and, and I gave up. So please, let's just carry on with it as it, uh, as it is. So they then complain to Xerxes and say, you know, complain that they're rebuilding the temple. Then a bit while, a little while later, they, they start getting write a letter to Artaxerxes and they say, these people, they're a terrible people. They're, they're rebuilding the temple, they're rebuilding the city. There are people who have a history of being rebellious. Stop them. And Artaxerxes searches the things and says, yeah, right, they are a difficult people. We, they, must stop, they must stop building their city and building the temple. So they do stop because they're told to stop. And they stop for nearly 15 years. And then uh, we get a second group come back and, and you have Haggai and Zechariah, who, the prophets, and they come along and they, they challenge the people. And they say, what are you doing? Why are you living in your houses? Build your own houses. And the temple of God's still unfinished. Get on with the work of the temple. So they do. And then they say another group of people come along and, and they see them building the temple and they send another letter to uh, Darius now, who's, who's the king in Persia, saying, saying, please stop these people. But at the same time, um, it's found that uh, the, the uh, Israelites also appeal to Darius and say, actually Cyrus, king of Persia, told us to do this and said that we should use some of the, 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 some of the wealth of the land to do this. And Darius actually looks through the records, finds that Cyrus had done this and agrees. So instead of the, uh, instead of the enemies getting their way, Darius says, right, complete, complete your temple, rebuild it and get all the, the, and the, the royal, the taxes and things locally will help you finance it. So they end up being able to rebuild the temple and it takes about 15 years to do so. So that's, that's the story of these two chapters. But I want to say that um, the, the people who were the enemy at that time were the people who had been in the northern tribes when Assyria had taken away, had, had invaded northern Israel, the ten tribes, and took a lot of them away, but he also brought in a whole load of, of people from other nations, pagans. And they were a sort of mixture, therefore, of having some sort of worship of God, Yahweh, but also some of the pagan worship, and it was a mixture. These people became later known as the Samaritans in Jesus' time. So they got these people who were a mixture, and they come along and they say, let's help build the temple. But they were not their allies, they were enemies. They wanted to destroy the work of God. And 
we've, and, and I think that's really important. So the, they were very wise, Zerubbabel and Yeshua, and they saw that they have an enemy. We have an enemy, right? As we come back and we, re, re, we, we gather again, we have an enemy who wants to destroy the work of God. We do have an enemy. Let's not forget it. But our enemy is not going to come at us with guns and, you know, fighting us. Our enemy will, is, is subtle. We live in a Christianised society. It's not Christian, it's Christianised. It's been built on Christian principles, but the Spirit of God is not there any longer. And therefore we have this, we have this sort of, you know, the society around us sort of believes in the Christian principles, but they don't actually want Jesus Christ as a society. There are people who do, but they don't want Jesus Christ. So we have this, we have it. And I wanted to ask a... Um, so let's... Right. And Paul says this in Ephesians... For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have an enemy. That enemy is subtle, spiritual. And I wanted to... Um, how do our enemies want to frustrate... Now, I'm, this, this is where we get a little bit um, controversial... I hope I won't upset anybody, but I probably might. I want to say, how is God? How how are our enemies going to frustrate our work today? First of all, liberal theology. Now, by liberal theology, I mean a theology that is largely drawn from the culture around us, rather than from the biblical word of God, from what God is telling us. We draw our theology from the, work, from the world around us. Often we start off that way. We build the theology from the world around us. Uh, we get our theology from the world around us. Then we go to the Bible and try our hardest to make the Bible agree with what we think. But we start with the world, not with the Bible. Syncretism. There is a, there is a, a driving force saying that all religions basically end up in the same place. We're all going in the same way, aren't we? Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, so on. We're all, we're all going to be get to the same place in the end. We're all the same. I would say this. All religions can be wrong, may be wrong. Certainly not all religions can't be right because they, they are, are so contradictory of one another. They can't be right, but there's a syncretism that says, actually, we're all going in the same direction. Universalism. Universalism says that um, we've got a loving God, haven't we? And he's, he's a lovely, lovely God. And at the end of the day, he's not actually going to judge anybody. At the end of the day, we're all going to heaven, aren't we? Well, that's not what my Bible tells me, I must say. We have got a loving God. But if, if we're all going to heaven, we don't need to share the gospel, do we? What's the point? It doesn't matter. Universalism, that's, that's going to be driving more and more. And finally, I've got this one, assimilation. 
that our enemy wants us to just assimilate into the Christianized society around us so that we, we just blend in. The, he, the, the letter to the Hebrews is all about, is all about the, the Hebrew Christians who accepted Christ, but in the Roman world, if you were, if you were a, a Jew and you respected the emperor, you could live quite quietly and get on with your life. But if you were a Christian, you were not allowed. You were, you were excluded, you were persecuted. So a lot of the heat, the, those Jewish Christians who started the path wanted to, found it slightly easier just to go back to the Judaistic ways and not talk too much about Jesus because life's a lot easier. And we're not called to assimilate. We're called to be, we're a called out people, a people called out, separate, to stand for God. And, that's, and we mustn't forget that. It is very easy, you know, to, with all the comforts we've got around us, to just assimilate. But actually, God's calling us out. And if we're called out, we're on an adventure tougher than being assimilated, but far greater, far more exciting, far greater purpose. So... Let's, let's just keep those things in mind. So I'll just finish with three more questions. What are some of the main... These sort of things you can take away and chew over if you want to. Um, I'm not asking you to answer me today. <laughs> what are, the, what are the, the, some of the main ethical issues that face the church today? All right, take those away. What are the issues likely to be facing us in the not-too-distant future. Now, you know, there are issues that are right in our face today. If we don't handle them right, there's a whole load more just waiting to come. So how are we going to handle those? And what practical steps should we be taking in the light of these issues? Those are things for you to think about, to chew over, if you want to talk in your groups, whatever. Just something to think about. Okay, so I'm finished. <laughs>